If you've ever visited San Francisco, then there's a chance you've taken a ride on a streetcar. But did you know Phoenix used to have a trolley system? Before buses, cars, and the more modern light rail, the trolley system transported workers from more rural parts of the valley to its developing downtown core. Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com where we answer the questions you ask about Metro Phoenix. I'm your host, Kayla White. In today's episode, podcast editor Katie O'Connell is exploring the history of the Phoenix trolley. Katie, take it away. The Phoenix Street Railway System was founded in 1887. And it was started by a man named Moses Sherman, which if you've ever heard of the part of Los Angeles that's called Sherman Oaks, it is named after that same man. That's Matt Jewett. He's a volunteer at the Phoenix Trolley Museum. Matt said that Moses Sherman was originally a teacher from Vermont. He then taught in Prescott and became the superintendent of public instruction for what was then the Arizona Territory. Moved up pretty fast, and he bought land in what was turning into Phoenix. And Moses Sherman saw an opportunity in that land. In 1852, New York City established a transportation system using streetcars pulled by horses called horse cars. Soon, most major U.S. cities had such a system despite sanitary problems. Moses Sherman bought land in Phoenix when it was cheap. He then built the streetcar line to run near or through his land, which made it more valuable. He even donated part of his land to become the territorial capital. But what he didn't tell them was that he owned pretty much all the all of the land from 7th Avenue to 19th Avenue. That's Elise Freed. She's a volunteer and docent at the Phoenix Trolley Museum. Elise said that real estate moves like that made Sherman rich, but they also helped the city grow. Yeah, so Phoenix was obviously a very small city, and much of it was what today we know as downtown. But the streetcars were what allowed it to expand beyond downtown. Take, for instance, Glendale. In the late 1890s, early 1900s, that area of the valley was just starting to develop into a farming community. And they needed to get all of their product to the city. And the trolley was a much more efficient and cheaper way of doing that than, you know, stagecoaches and wagons and buggies. So it was building infrastructure and helping commerce that way. It was allowing people to live farther outside the city, but still commute into Phoenix proper for for work and for shopping. When Sherman launched the streetcar in 1887, the first streetcars were actually drawn by mules. So picture the cable cars from San Francisco, but it's a mule in front of it that's powering it. The first line was an east-west line. It took riders along Washington Street from 7th Avenue to about 13th Street. And Elise said there was also a small section that went north-south. It traveled north to Van Buren. And then a little piece south to the what was then Maricopa and Phoenix Railway Depot, 
which would take everything out to Maricopa, where the major Southern Pacific and uh, Santa Fe railroads were. In 1893, the line shifted from mule-drawn streetcars to electric streetcars. To power those, electric lines dashed through the city skies. The current traveled from the line to the car's motor by means of a long pole. The pole had a small wheel called a shoe that slid or rolled along the line. This overhead mechanism was called a trolley, a term that was later applied to the entire vehicle. Matt said the original lines were expanded pretty quickly. By 1922, trolleys ran on about 28 miles of track through the city. That number would hit 33 miles when the city of Phoenix purchased the line in 1925. So Moses Sherman made his money in Arizona. He uh, moved on to California and decided to basically leave the streetcar system behind. In Phoenix, the system he left behind had seen better days. He couldn't entice private buyers to purchase it. So the city took it over, paying Sherman $20,000 for it. There was just one problem. The city didn't want the responsibility of the streetcar system. The tracks were in bad shape. Same with the individual streetcars. But in the late 20s, there still wasn't any other truly reliable form of public transportation other than trolleys. That meant the city couldn't say no to purchasing the lines. They opted to rehab the system instead. The city issued two bonds worth $750,000. They fixed the lines and purchased 18 new streetcars. The first of the streetcars arrived on Christmas Day, 1928. And those changes paid off. In 1929, the city's streetcar system had one of its most profitable years. It earned almost $300,000 from the streetcar system. And this might not seem like a lot of money, but consider this. Rides at the time only cost a nickel. The system had 6.6 million passengers that year. The streetcar really lived up to its motto then, ride a mile and smile the while. But the post-renovation honeymoon period for the streetcar would be short-lived. Only a few years ago, we were a discouraged people because we were the first to lose our jobs when old man depression came along and the last to get them back. We struggled vainly to regain our bearings while depression, fear, and failure stalked the nation. By 1932, rides dropped in half. Fares had to be increased. Lines were closed and workers had their wages reduced. However, it's important to note that the Great Depression wasn't the largest threat to the streetcar system. There were two other developments happening from the 20s through the 40s that would ultimately signal the end of the line. The expansion of buses and the growth of private vehicles. In 1935, the city expanded its fleet of buses. And buses have some advantages. Of course, they uh, don't go on fixed routes. So if there's an emergency, they can still get through. Also, there was some pushback uh, because the streetcars uh, didn't have their own right-of-way that was well-defined like today's light rail system. Uh, They operated in the streets with the tracks. And uh, so every now and then there were 
uh, collisions with cars, usually fender benders, nothing too serious. But there were drivers who wanted the trolleys off the roads. Then came the 40s and World War II. The Luke and Williams airfields were built. And so many, you know, servicemen and women were coming in and needed access to those as quickly as possible. It takes a while to build a streetcar line. So buses came in. I think they had ha- they accumulated about 15, 16 buses at that time and had different routes that were taking people out to those. The trolleys still ran during the war, but the number of lines was again reduced, this time to just three lines. They mainly served people who needed to get downtown without wearing out their tires. After all, spare rubber was needed for the war effort. I'm going to take you into one of our secret defense plants. Here you see men making tanks. For these we must have steel, copper, tin, aluminum, brass, and rubber. Here you'll get the truth. We haven't enough rubber for our tanks. By 1947, only one line was operational, the Washington Line, which had been the original one. Cars and buses continued their pre-war dominance. Then something happened that would be the final nail in the coffin for the streetcar. On October 3rd, 1947, there was a mysterious fire in what's called the car barn. It's where the individual streetcars were stored when they weren't in operation. They did figure out uh, what the source of the fire was, but there was uh, suspicion uh, that it might have uh, been something malicious. At that time, streetcar systems across the country were starting to go belly up. They couldn't compete with cars and buses. Um, If you saw the film Who Framed Roger Rabbit in the late 1980s, um, part of the storyline is the streetcar system there, the Pacific Electric Railway. And General Motors was even one of the owners of the Pacific Electric Railway in its latter days. And uh, there was a lot of suspicion. Why would General Motors, who made automobiles and buses, want a, uh, a failing, declining streetcar system unless they wanted to hasten its demise? So that theory existed not just in L.A., but also in Phoenix. Only seven streetcars survived the fire. And that made it very difficult for the streetcar system to continue running. And the following year, in 1948, the decision was finally made to shut the streetcar system down. On February 17th, 1948, the Phoenix trolley ran for the last time. There was a little bit of fanfare, uh, some, uh, some memorializing the streetcar system. Um, the mayor was there, a few different prominent citizens uh, from Phoenix. They called it the last ride. In their years of service, the 18 cars purchased by the city ran over 15.6 million miles. The valley wouldn't have rail service again until the light rail opened in 2008. 
For some, the trolleys faded into memory. But that wasn't the case for Larry Fleming. Larry is the author of the 1977 book, Ride a Mile and Smile the While, a history of the Phoenix Street Railway, 1887 to 1948. And his obsession with trolleys started at a young age. His granddaddy took him on the trolleys. His grandmother took him on the trolleys, and it cost five cents, you know, five cents. And that was back when he was a really little kid, and um, he it got him. <laughs> That's Gail Fleming, Larry's wife. Larry died in 2013. But in 1975, Larry and two of his friends, Carl Wicks and Dwight Van Seel, knew that there were four streetcars being used for studio apartments at the aptly named Trolley Trailer Court, and they wanted to preserve those four streetcars. He had kept an eye on all of the old trolleys that he knew where they were located, and as soon as they were ready to, um, I guess, destroy, um, if they were ready to demolish this trolley, Then he would step in and say, well, I can help you out. The trio enlisted the help of the Arizona Historical Society. And in 1977, they opened the Phoenix Trolley Museum. It was basically a somewhat open structure with a roof on it to protect the old trolleys. And it was right next to the Ellis Shackelford House, which is that house right on the north side of Hans Park. The museum started with two cars cars 116 and car 504. The great floods of 1979 actually washed away some of the other cars Larry and his volunteers had planned on restoring. So the museum's two cars remained the focal point of its collection for decades. Matt said the museum lost some momentum in subsequent years. Larry was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 2008. As I said earlier, he died in 2013. Today, the Arizona State University Archive has a Lawrence J. Fleming audio and video section. In it, there are taped interviews with people who worked for the streetcar system. This will be a recording with Mr. Sam Hodges, a retired Phoenix Street Railway motorman, conductor, and employee who went to work for the railway system. Was Maryland a uh, was Maryland paved in a street or was that just no, it's too? a dirt street yeah. dirt, and not traveled much. Larry's work documenting the history of the streetcar and preserving parts of it are a large reason why we know so much about the system today. After his death, the museum lost one of its biggest advocates. The Phoenix Trolley Museum had uh, been in a situation where it hadn't done much fundraising or publicity. In 2016, the city of Phoenix decided the museum wasn't bringing in enough foot traffic and ended its Hans Park lease. For volunteers... It was a moment to reorganize and come back stronger. The first step, finding a new location. The museum moved to Lower Grand Avenue and 11th Avenue. 
Coincidentally, its new location is on an old trolley route. This is an area of town that is starting to revitalize. It has a lot of the artists who used to be on Roosevelt Row uh, back before that became someplace a little bit too expensive, frankly, for a lot of artists. The museum leased the building for three years. And Matt said that the building came with an added perk, the ability to buy it outright at a discounted price. Doing so would create a permanent location for the museum. The Trolley Museum was able to raise enough funds this summer and fall for a down payment and buy that building. So the Trolley Museum will now, for the first time, have its own home that it owns. The museum is up and running in the new location, at least it was before COVID-19. There are displays. Uh, about the uh, pictures of the old streetcar, the the roots, some of the artifacts, the fare box that people used to put money into. But Matt and Elise sell the building is about 100 years old and in need of some renovations. Most importantly, it needs a space for the remaining streetcars to be enshrined. But there's a big side yard. So we need to build a shelter in that side yard so we can get the streetcars that ran in Phoenix uh, up to 1948, get those original streetcars put out on display so the public can see them. Luckily, the museum received a $75,000 donation from a member, which should help build out that display. And the good news doesn't stop there. The museum also received a grant from the Arizona Humanities Council to do an oral history project, They'll collect stories from Phoenicians who remember riding the streetcar. And this summer, a third streetcar was donated. The museum actually didn't know of its existence before the donation. And it looks a little different because uh, the owners had done some uh, renovations to the outside. But it does bear some uh, evidence of scars of the fire. And we do want to uh, make sure that that is on display and people can see it. I asked Matt what his vision is for the museum. It would be interesting if we, for example, could run uh, one of the old trolleys, uh, part of the time even, uh, up and down Grand Avenue. Uh, It's an area that's really taken off now for First Friday. And uh, imagine if people could park out at the fairgrounds and take the streetcar along Grand Avenue and into downtown Phoenix. Although doing so would take a financial investment from the city, so that's to be determined. For Gail, the most important thing is that Phoenicians remember the Phoenix trolley the way her husband Larry did. His, his passion for trolleys started at a very young age, and it never stopped. Well, listeners, that's all for today. Audio in today's episode comes from Aurora TV, WSTV 13 Winston-Salem, and a promotional film from the WPA. Additional audio comes from the Office of War Information Bureau of Motion Pictures and the National Archives Video Collection. Let us know if there's anyone else in Phoenix's history who you'd like to hear more about. 
You can tell us your questions at valley101podcast.azcentral.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at valley101pod. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe and rate our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's all for today. I'm Kayla White, signing off until next week.